This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Andrew Patterson with you along with Michael Remus. Got a great show today. Uh, Dave McCarthy from NHL.com and Sirius XM NHL Radio is going to join us a little bit later on. This week is sort of all about football. I mean, coming out of the Labor Day Classic into the Banjo Bowl, NFL kickoff. We knew that it would be a uh, a football-heavy week, but we do know there's still lots going on around the National Hockey League, a lot of excitement for training camps to open. So we will take a little tour, a midweek tour around the league with Dave McCarthy, get his thoughts on what transpired between Montreal and the Carolina Hurricanes, Pierre Dorian's extension, and what's going on with some of the RFAs that are still yet to be unsigned, including some big ones amongst a few Canadian teams, especially in Ottawa and in Vancouver. John Horn's also going to join us. The biggest story in Canadian sports right now is... Leila Annie Fernandez and Felix Auger-Aliassime at the U.S. Open. Both were victorious yesterday. I know a lot of people with us live yesterday on YouTube were paying close attention. When we finished the show, we all t- we all tuned in to that incredible final set that went over an hour. And the young 19-year-old cutbacker prevails to move on to her first semifinal. As I said, it's the talk of Canadian sports right now. We always love talking tennis with John Horn. So we'll discuss the historic nature of this run of Leila Andy Fernandez, the walkover win by Felix Auger-Aliassime, and what they're both up against going into the semifinals at the U.S. Open. Um, we've got bombers to talk about. We've got NFL kickoff coming up. We've got the results from part one of Murata Tesh's The Athletic Winnipeg Jets fan poll and I am happy to tell you that we've always got lots of time to talk Jets. Marat will join us on tomorrow's program here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. We've got a huge soccer game tonight for our men's national team. A massively important World Cup qualifying game at home. We have got the Ryder Cup team and a very interesting name left off the U.S. team by Steve Stricker. And of course, the red hot Toronto Blue Jays make it six in a row going into tonight's matchup to make it a perfect seven over the course of the past week against the New York Yankees. As always, we're brought to you by our great family of sponsors, including Manitoba Battery over on Logan Avenue, Little Brown Jug Brewing, Royal Sports, Canadian Club Whiskey, Not Auto Corp, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Boston Pizza, Assiniboia Downs, Breezy Bend, and Cool Bet Canada. And speaking of Cool Bet, if you haven't heard, Friday night, cannot wait to do this. Myself, Remus is going to come down. Dustin Nielsen, who will be calling the Banjo Bowl for TSN, will be in Winnipeg, as well as Chris Abbott from Cool Bet. So we're getting the band together. We're going to fire off a NFL Week 1 live edition of The Lock Shop. We're going to record that at 7 p.m. at Boston Pizza City Place. And we're hopefully going to turn it into a bit of a Lock Shop Winnipeg Sports Talk meetup. So if you're in town for the weekend, you're clear on Friday night, come on down and join us at BP for a few cold ones, maybe a pizza and some wings. And uh, we'll talk NFL. We'll get ready for a huge triple header in the Canadian Football League on Saturday. And uh, hopefully just have a great time. I mean, we've kind of been wanting to do something like this since we started the program 
But of course, with the pandemic, it has not been possible. So as long as you got your card, you're good to go inside restaurants. We'd love to have you down there. Look forward to doing that Friday night at 7 p.m. And just one more note on Cool Bet. Did do an NFL final preview show with the guys last night. You can check that and find that at all the Cool Bet social channels, either their Twitter or their YouTube. Uh, let's get Remus in here and get things going. Remo, what's going on? How are you? Feeling good, Huss. Uh, I'm pumped to have John Horn on. Everyone focus on the tennis. I've been huh. like these, uh, the address you match. Uh, two nights ago and last night, yesterday after the show, I mean, you turn on these matches and they're going deep and into the tie-breaking sets and uh, or tie-breaking games, whatever. You can't shut them off. Uh, and it was incredible to watch yesterday Leila Fernandez battling. You know, you thought she was going to win like six, was a 6-3? She was a 5-3 and, uh, you know, lost two, went to the tie-break and went to went even deeper. So... I mean, some of those points that she won where she's running back and forth like a maniac, uh, you know, returning all those, uh, you know, balls that you think are not even playable and winning points. Uh, it was incredible to watch. Yeah, yeah. her um, I mean, her tenacity, her ferocity yeah. uh, is, I mean, next level. And the energy that this young woman brings to the court Um it's just fun to watch and to be a part of. And uh, yeah, she's winning over a lot of hearts in this country. And I'll tell you what, she mm-hmm. is the talk of the U.S. Open. So we'll get to all that with John Horn a little bit later on in the program. Um, not a lot of bomber news today, Remo, of course, because the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are having their closed practice today to the media. Um, one thing that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody is that Brandon Alexander is one of the CFL's top performers of the week after not one but two picks on Saturday in the Labor Day Classic. Yeah, he also had four defensive tackles and a special teams tackle, and we uh, talked with Jeff Hamilton yesterday. Just another dominating performance by the Blue Bombers defense, and he was certainly part of that, along with you know Willie Jefferson, Adam Bighill, Jackson uh, Jeffcoat. I mean, those guys all leading the way. They have so many, you know, like, Amazing players on the defense. I mean, how you're how anyone blocks uh, Jefferson and Jeffcoat and then has to deal with uh, the other guys, you know, in the secondary and uh, Big Hill. I mean, former defensive player of the year. I mean, this defense absolutely stacked and made Cody Fajardo look like, uh, you know, not um, most outstanding player candidate the other day. And look, they'll have to run it back. They've been talking some trash. They'll have to back it up. I'm disappointed they have a closed practice. Don't they know? Like, we need. Injury updates. We need stuff to. <laughs> we need stuff to get to here. I want to get some quotes from uh, some of these guys. So, uh, look, we're just we're all counting down until the banjo ball on Saturday and see if they can go two and zero. Yeah, well, uh, we are going to have some great CFL discussion over the course of the next couple of days, focusing on the Bombers and Riders. Dustin Nielsen, who will be calling the game, my partner in their lock shop. By the way, we just did a new episode of the lock shop talking about this week in the Canadian football. That's up on our social channels. If you're listening on the podcast, just type into Apple or Spotify, the lock shop, and you'll get that done up. We're now here to now to back to two episodes a week, one earlier in the week, hitting everything non NFL. And then a Friday episode getting into all the picks for Sunday, as well as our final picks for the Circa contest. But Dusty's going to join us tomorrow. Tomorrow, as well as Marat, should be a great show. And then on Friday, we will get the latest from Blue Bomber HQ. Ed Tate's going to join us. And of course, we'll get ready for week one in the NFL with the legend himself, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. 
So yeah, um, Brandon Alexander is the uh, one of the players of the week. No surprise. I don't expect a lot of news coming out of Winnipeg Blue Bomber practice today, just you know, with no media there. Um, but we should have a better idea oh, after tomorrow's practice, I think, as to who will be in, who might be out. And then, you know, a walkthrough on Friday and then the game on Saturday. And, and you know, Reem, we were talking to Dusty about this schedule on the weekend. And, you know, we've been so fired up for, um, you know, the lock shop on Friday night. And, of course, the NFL kickoff tomorrow between the Cowboys and Bucks, and NFL Sunday and the Banjo Bowl itself. Banjo Bowl part of a CFL triple header on Saturday. And I just like to publicly congratulate the schedule maker for the Canadian Football League for figuring out that football fans want as much football as they can get. We're going to have a ton of college football south of the border, a CFL triple header on Saturday, and then a full slate of NFL action going from noon till about 10, 1030 on Sunday. This is the weekend we're waiting for. We're sort of at the finish line, and now we're ready to start the engines for the season. And uh, honestly, one of the best times on the sporting calendar from my perspective. Yeah, I agree. And uh, yeah, Saturday all day, Friday night, kicking it off. So it's nice that, you know, I'll have my, uh, hopefully my DraftKings winnings from Saturday's slate of CFL, and I can just roll it over to NFL on Sunday. Uh, My favorite part of CFL, Hus, is in the summer. I know we're kind of out of summer, but the late Saturday game, which is always, uh, you know, goes really late because it's in BC. uh, So we have BC, Ottawa. At nine o'clock uh, Saturday, I don't know. I love I love that time slot. So uh, three six nine, well done, um, CFL schedule makers. Remember when the Banjo Bowl was on the Sunday afternoon, first day of the NFL season? Uh, thankful, thankfully, they changed that. Well done. I know it's been a couple yeah. of years, but that was no. always I always had to choose going to the Banjo Bowl and watching NFL, and it was always a tough one. Well, I don't want to take too much credit for this, but there has been a few movements that I've been a part of that have hammered back in the day on the afternoon show on our old station. And why the hell that game was played for so long on Sunday Mm -hmm. with a wide open Saturday uh, made no sense to me. And even if you were one of the people that I think are misguided, but thinks that, you know, for some reason, football fans are either CFL fans or NFL fans, which I can assure you that most of them are not. Uh, Even if that's the case, simply from a perspective of trying to sell more tickets in Winnipeg for Saskatchewan people to do what we all do on Labor Day weekend without there being a long weekend to put that game on Sunday made it impossible for Ryder fans to get back home and to work in time. So it, it listen, it just made too much sense. It has been an incredible change. The Banjo Bowl has never been better. I know Darren Cameron tweeted out yesterday that they are very close to a sellout right now. So if you don't have your tickets yet for Saturday afternoon, you're going to want to get to Ticketmaster at BlueBombers.com. Make sure you get those in your hands and we'll see you out there for the game coming up on Saturday afternoon. Um, So listen, a little bit later on, we will get to the U.S. Open. Uh, I'll talk about Canada, the, the big soccer game tonight against El Salvador. Uh, as well as a little bit of golf. But I'll tell you what, Rio, before we get John Horn on, can we quickly give a little bit of dap to the red-hot Toronto Blue Jays? I remember texting with you on the weekend after that insane game on Friday night where, full disclosure, I turned it off. I went over to the tennis, and that was right when Leilani Fernandez started to get going against Naomi Osaka. Missed what was, without a doubt, one of the craziest, greatest 
comebacks in Blue Jays history. And we said something needed to turn around for the Jays. Well, it seemed like that game maybe in itself turned things around. They've been hitting the cover off the ball since then. The pitching has been phenomenal. Mats goes up and deals six innings and gives up one run. They get to Garrett Cole last night. Now six in a row. Half the Boston Red Sox are out with COVID. Uh, They're looking to sweep the Yankees, and they are right back there. Uh, What a difference one week has made for the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, and uh, you look at the standings right now in the wild card. uh, I mean, the Jays, what, three games back? They don't have any games against uh, the Red Sox, but, I mean, everyone's looking at the schedule. Games against the Twins, games against the Orioles, and the, sorry, two games back now. Uh, they do have some games in hand on Boston. So when you have this game tonight against the Yankees, these are big games. These are, you know, games you need to win in a playoff chase. And I think, you know, the side story of this Jays playoff chase is uh, the Simeon and Robbie Ray, you know, oh. ex- expiring contra- contracts because there's Marcus Simeon, his 38th homer of the season, 38 bombs, and Alejandro Kirk uh, hitting two. Yesterday. Two Jack at night. Two but, uh, jacket night, as Buck Martinez said. What a great call that was. That, is there anything better? I mean, I know there was the turnover chain and whatnot. The the Jays home run jacket mm-hmm. is one yeah. of the great additions in recent Major League history. And honestly, that just speaks to how much of a fun team this is. Um, that's certainly getting more and more fans on board and, and giving people so much excitement for the future. But yes, you're right. There is some consternation amongst Jays fans, and I'm sure Jays management, that what Robbie Ray and Marcus Simeon are doing this year, that is going to make them incredibly expensive. Not necessarily difficult to sign, but, you know, Rogers has a lot of money. They're going to probably need it if they want to keep those guys in the fold in the offseason. Yeah, friends text me, okay, Robbie Ray's, you know, locked up uh, the Cy Young. I mean, he's been, I don't know, I don't want to say he's locked up, but he's leading the league in ERA. I mean, he's been absolutely incredible. And uh, I want to see the Jays do well two games back, another game uh, tonight against the Yankees. And we have a bit of a side story, uh, Derek Jeter, you know, all-time great Yankee getting inducted to the Hall of Fame with Canadian Larry Walker. But uh, 6 o'clock, Jays-Yankees. I'll probably have to tune in. We got to Alec Manoa, the youngster, versus Luis Gill, who's actually been, uh, he's a young a young pitcher as well. He's been uh, totally lights out, um, 18 strikeouts, and uh, I think it's some 15 and 15 innings. Yeah, he just has one decision so far. So, I mean, yeah. a pretty interesting matchup with so much on the line between two rookies uh, getting into it. Hey, just looking to see what's up in the chat. I see Joey Pankew. What up, Panks? has said, looks like there's approximately 100 tickets left for the Banjo Bowl. So there is your update as of 1.15 Central Time on Wednesday. Uh, If you're hearing this on the podcast later on, you're still planning on getting tickets. Get there right now. Get those in your hands. You do not want to miss out. Looks like it's going to be a beautiful day, too. I think sunny and a high of about 21. Perfect September football weather. Three o'clock start, have some time maybe to kick it in the parking lot beforehand and then have a little bit of fun afterwards and still get home and get your eight hours before setting your fantasy lineups and making your bets before the NFL action on the weekend. Oh, and I do know Remus was Barry Horowitzing himself for his great performance in the CFL DraftKings. That one's filling up. If you haven't got your spot yet in our CFL DraftKings pool, get on it. And I see Randy and some other people wondering, yes, The NFL contest is out as well. Only 50 spots. 
probably our most popular, along with our hockey contest throughout the year. Um, so what, uh, no, Rima, what's the story? If people can just join the Winnipeg Sports Talk League or do they, they need an invite? No, if you've been in any of our contests, you're in the in the league already. So okay. on on the app, you got to scroll down on the homepage, go to the league, uh, go under the league section. It's in there. Um, on the website, uh, at the top bar, there's a bunch of stuff like lobby, blah blah contest. Go to leagues. It's in there. So I'll send out invites personally. It's in the notification bell on the top right. They'll show up. But uh, leagues is where uh, it's under. So uh, we got CFL and NFL, and I'll look to defend my my week five uh, title in CFL. I see uh, GM Carp uh, didn't like that I was tooting my own horn. Uh, in the <laughs> hey, chat. you know what? He deserved it. He deserved that. I can tear you. And I see Kabilis Barry Horowitzing. I need to borrow that statement. It, it's a great term. Any old wrestling fans know exactly mm-hmm. as Remus is demonstration demonstrating the self. Pat on the back, which is also maybe my favorite gif. Uh, but you need to just, you can't pull that out too often. But when something goes good and you really want to stunt on people, that's when you pull out the Barry Horowitz gif. All right, we're going to talk some U.S. Open tennis. An incredible run for a couple Canadians continues. Before we do that, big shout out to Donnie and the gang over at Manitoba Battery Distributors over at 1026 Logan. Donnie, uh, the guys are the battery guys. Batteries for everything. Automotive, industrial, farm, power sports, quads, you name it, they can power it for you. Right now, of course, we're getting, I don't want to say we're getting into the winter because we've still got a little time before the snow flies, but uh, being proactive when it comes to batteries, a heck of a lot better than being screwed when your car doesn't start. Uh, talk to them now. Get set for winter in advance. And they do have a September special, uh, a maintainer for your battery. If you've got a summer car, a boat, a camper, uh, it's a $20 piece. It essentially charges your battery throughout the winter. So when you get to the spring and you want to fire it up, it is ready to go as opposed to needing any sort of maintenance. So you can do that. See them at 1026 Logan. Give them a call at 783 87 Manitoba Battery. They've got the best prices in town and they will deliver it to you anywhere citywide for less than it would cost to get you the same product over at Costco. Shout out to Donnie and the guys at Manitoba Battery. Great to have you all on board. Uh, also want to uh, thank our friends at Little Brown Jug. And I'll tell you what, there is going to be plenty of 1919s consumed this weekend, whether it's for their big pride event on Friday night, the patio party where people can bring donations to the Sunshine House, or maybe we'll see some of those limited edition 1919 pride cans out in the tailgate beforehand. Um, those are on sale today and you can get them on the website at littlebrownjug.ca or you can get them out of the tap room. A dollar from each can is going to Pride and Friends. And I'll tell you what, if you are getting out to Burger Week, we may have to do a little uh, burger segment at the end of Friday show uh, before our big giveaway with Canadian Club. But if you do want to mention, uh, we can, I would mention you, a buck off pints of 1919 when you try the Burger Week entries at Siebel Waterfront Cafe, Block and Blade Restaurant, the Merchant Kitchen, and Saffron's Restaurant. And to get ready for the Banjo Bowl, You might want to head down to Royal Sports. I can tell you there are two dad hats left and there are three snapbacks left for the Winnipeg Sports Talk hats. Those are available at Royal Sports. And while you're there, you can get ready for NFL season with incredible merch for all 32 teams. Tons of bomber gear for the Banjo Bowl. 
jet gear and, you know, camping, bikes, and the best and biggest hockey uh, department in the city stocked by the experts that play hockey themselves. Royal Sports, longtime sponsors of ours. Check them out along with King Skate Snow and Surf for back to school at 750 Pemina Highway. That's where you go if you haven't got your Winnipeg Sports Talk hat left. There are only a couple left over at Royal Sports. All right, the story in Canadian sports right now is on the tennis court. The tennis court in New York City. Leila Annie Fernandez and Felix Auger Aliasim continue their, their incredible run through week two of this Grand Slam, both in the semifinals. And there's no one we enjoy talking tennis with more on Winnipeg Sports Talk than our good friend John Horn. You can follow him on Twitter at SportsHorn. John, what's going on? I, I imagine you've been busy, and uh, it's a good busy right now because these young Canadians are giving, uh, well, making a ton of new fans every time they make on the court and uh, really creating some history right now out at Arthur Ashe Stadium. Yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, I think it's phenomenal what uh, the Canadian scene is looking like in men's and women's tennis right now, and uh, now we're getting a real sample size of you know, we've had a couple of teases along the way in terms of uh, what Canadian tennis is going to be like. We've seen uh, Denis Shapovalov uh, reaching the uh, Wimbledon semifinals this year. Uh, a couple of years ago, we saw Bianca Andreescu playing in the U.S. Open uh, main draw for the first time and going all the way, winning all seven matches and winning uh, her first career Grand Slam. So we saw that. And now we're just seeing a little bit more of it here with uh, Felix Auger-Aliassime and uh, uh, Leila Fernandez. I mean, it's 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 impressive, and it just shows you how far Canadian tennis has come along. Uh, at one point in time, you know, it was Daniel Nestor, and uh, that was pretty much it. And then suddenly, uh, Milos Raonic came on the scene, Jeannie Bouchard came on the scene, and at least we had two players regularly in singles. With all due respect to Vasily Pospisil, who was also playing, who won a Wimbledon doubles title a few years ago as well. Um, but you know, now we're starting to see the real core of what Canadian tennis has become. Uh, right now, uh, with 19-year-old Leila Fernandez, uh, 21-year-old Felix Auger-Aliassime, uh, you know, and and the fact that Denis Shapovalov is young as well, and Bianca Andreescu is 21 too. So, um, you know, it's really impressive to watch. Uh, it's fun to watch. It's great to see how well they've done. Uh, Felix's run maybe not quite as impressive as what Fernandez has done, just based on. Fernandez is 73 in the world. Uh, Felix was in the top 15. So uh, you're kind of expecting him to break through a little faster. But the fact that Fernandez has gotten to where she has gotten, beating the players that she has along the way uh, at number 73 in the world. She did win a title earlier this year. So she sort of got a taste of what it was like to win a win a tournament. Uh, but she's never gone deep into Grand Slams before. And uh, now we see her in the semifinals. Uh, it's pretty cool. Well, uh, she has become the darling of the tournament. Um, she is making fans coast to coast every time she gets out on TSN. And yeah, I mean, I would suggest that through what we've seen so far, she might be the most popular player at the tournament you know, on either side of yeah. the draw with what she's done. Um, let's back up a little bit because, uh, you know, the story of what she's authored over the course of the last three matches has been historic in many ways. Uh, but John, Coming into the tournament, you mentioned world number 73. She did have a win. Tell us uh, what we what did we know about Leila Annie Fernandez before she stepped on the court playing um, the number one seed out of qualifying in her first matchup? But because, you know, she's been around. She's been a professional for a little while. But certainly when you compare her to some of the other names of Canadian tennis was far from a household name. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, as we mentioned, it's it's all on the women's side. We've really been talking about Bianca Andreescu since uh, she won her U.S. Open uh, in 2019. Even uh, if you want to back up before that, uh, she won Indian Wells uh, earlier in the year. And then she went, went on to become the first Canadian in a ton of years to win the Canadian Open on her own home soil right before the U.S. Open. So it was Bianca all year long, and rightly so. She got the, the Canadian Athlete of the Year for what she did. Um, and then Layla Fernandez, in the meantime, was sort of making her way up the ranks. She was playing a lot of challenger events, um, almost what you would call, say, if you were to use a baseball analogy, starting in double-A, working her way up to triple uh, a and then getting to the big show that kind of thing uh playing a lot of twenty five thousand uh, dollar challengers and i say twenty five thousand that's the entire purse for the entire tournament not just for you know just for winning a an event uh, twenty five thousand is the entire purse so your take-home pay could be you know three four five thousand dollars maybe ten thousand at the most if you actually win it so um but then you know the the the, the thought process with her is that she was always going to be a good player uh, she had a really good mindset you've already started to see it in this Grand Slam where she's very poised on the court. Uh, she shows a lot of emotion on the court. She looks like she's having fun. Uh, she doesn't get wrapped up in the moment. Uh, and you're seeing this with a lot, so many young players now is that uh, the players don't get phased by playing in front of 20,000 fans. I mean, if they played in front of 50,000 fans at Wembley Stadium or something, I don't think it would it would matter to them. Um, you know, they're so focused on court. Um, they've got, uh, you know, good people around them from trainers to physios to nutritionists and all that kind of thing. And uh, really for Fernandez, I mean, she won a junior Grand Slam uh, a couple of years ago. I think that was sort of her vaulting point where it was like, OK, this is the time where she's going to shine. Um, you know, she's always said that clay has been her favorite surface to play on not so much hard court but uh, she's always uh, equated well on on hard courts and we saw that earlier this year when she won her tournament in Monterey um, you know she's a big hitter we've already seen that so she's got a big forehand uh, she can come to the net she moves well around the court the one thing that I think has really been a factor in her U.S. Open run so far is the fact maybe not so much in the match against Svitolina uh, yesterday she didn't serve as well but in the two matches before that against Kerber and Osaka she was really getting those first serves in uh, a lot of serves to the body and you know in tennis if you can get those first serves in it really makes a difference to you know short trying to shorten the points or trying to control the point and she was doing a really good job of finding the corners and, you know, painting the lines uh, with a lot of her ground strokes. So I think that made a big difference as well. And, um, you know, really, it's just been a, a an evolution of a player who's, you know, gone through through Tennis Canada and has made her way up and wins a junior Grand Slam. Um, did we think that she was going to be doing what she's doing at the U.S. Open this year? I don't think so. I mean, there's been a lot of crazy stories at the U.S. Open this year. Uh, the other uh, young uh, young. Uh, I was going to say Canadian because she's actually born in Toronto. Emma Raducanu, Rata, um, who's 18, and she's from Great Britain, born in Canada. Uh, she's had a great run, and now she's in the semifinals too. And we saw on the men's side who Felix played yesterday, Carlos uh, Alcarez. He He's 18, and he got to the quarterfinals. So we're seeing a lot of these young players who are, you know, many people, if you're a casual tennis fan, haven't heard of before, really making it up the ranks quickly and doing so well at this U.S. Open, which not many people saw happening. I'll tell you what's been so impressive to me. I mean, there's been a number of things. I mean, first of all, you just can't. I mean, she has, Leila Fernandez, she has an infectious energy and mm -hmm. a level of belief and ferociousness. Um, I mean, there's absolutely no quit in this young woman. And I mean, John, and maybe it's hard to put into into terms. I mean, down a set and down a break against the world number three, comes back against Osaka and does the same thing against yeah. Angelique Kerber, a former world number one. Um, 
like the way it, it, it winning the matches is one thing, but the way that she won these matches, I think really set her up for her most difficult test. And that was going right to the limit in that third set tiebreaker yesterday. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I, I mean, I think, you know, there, there's so many ways of looking at how she's played so far and what she's been able to do. I mean, if you look back to uh, the tournaments before the U.S. Open, uh, she lost early in, in the first round of Wimbledon. Uh, she lost in her first match in uh, Montreal. Uh, she got through some couple qualifying matches, but then lost early in Cincinnati. So she didn't exactly go on any kind of run coming into the tournament. So that's why this thing is even more crazy. Um, you know, she hasn't had a lot of success against top 30 players. I think she's one in seven um, since the U.S. Open last year against top 30 players. And then she goes out and plays Naomi Osaka, who's won the tournament twice, as you said, down a set, down a break, comes back and wins that match. Now, say what you want about Osaka. It looks like, you know, her mind maybe was not in the match as much as it normally would be. Uh, we, we saw afterwards that uh, she's contemplating taking some time off uh, from tennis. So not to take away from what Fernandez did, but maybe Osaka's mindset wasn't in the match. Uh, then uh, Kerber, then Angelique Kerber, who's won that tournament before, had played really well coming in. I think she won like 17 of 19 matches at the U.S. Open or in, you know, overall. And she, she'd just been playing some really good tennis. And then, you know, it's almost uh, Fernandez's idol because she's a lefty and, and she even said she modeled her game after her. Goes down a set, goes down a break, comes back and ends up winning that match. Um, and then plays Svitolina, you know, yesterday, who's number five in the world, who's uh, had a great run uh, in the last little bit. She won an Olympic bronze medal. Um, then she goes and wins nine nine straight matches, including a title in Chicago last week. And then she goes and beats her uh, in three sets as well. So, um, you know, she's really the fact that she's been able to do it. It's not as if she's been marching into the semifinals, avoiding all the top players or anything, which sometimes happens. You sometimes get luck of the draw and you, you get into a get into a slam final or slam, slam semifinal because a lot of the seeds have been knocked out. She's gone through the number three seed, the number 16 seed, and the number five seed. And now she's got to play the number two seed in Sabalenka, who's a who's a beast out there. She's just a huge hitter. Uh, I'm very curious to see how she handles uh, Sabalenka's power out there. But Fernandez can dish it too. So um, it, overall, it's just been so impressive to watch uh, for somebody who you know was not on anybody's radar coming into this tournament, and rightly so, based on just her world ranking, what she'd done coming into the tournament, uh, and you know her past Grand Slam experience. Yeah, you know, I think maybe the only person more happy than uh, Layla might be her agent right now with just how <laughs> marketable of a young woman yeah. and the fact that she's sort of emerging, not just in Canada, but on the world tennis scene with this incredible run. And, you know, she'll have a ton of support when she gets out there in a very, very tough match against the number two seed. I, I did we might, find we it- might start seeing we might start seeing some Layla Fernandez commercials instead of the Bianca, uh, you know, mattress or sleeping ones that we see all yeah. the time or all the other ones. Jeannie's Jeannie's out with Pinties. They'll get a they'll get a new uh, a new line of uh, chicken nuggets for uh, for Layla yes, coming off of yes, off of this yes. run. Um, but it is interesting. Um, her father's her coach, and yet he's not there. Um, no. You know, hearing her talk about it, I mean, she's getting all this work from her coach, basically talking to her dad in between matches and then yeah. going out there. And, you know, often, especially younger players, you know, they you see they're always looking over at their box. They're looking for I mean, she has just a, a presence and a confidence, even under the most incredible duress that it certainly is beyond her years. And to be honest, it's beyond most players on either side of the singles draw in this Grand Slam. 
Yeah, and I think you know some some uh, players handle their coaches a lot better than others, uh, especially when it involves parents. You know, unfortunately, we've heard uh, stories over the years where um, you know female players have had their fathers of coaches, and it hasn't gone very well over the years. Um, you know, there's been some stories. Uh, you know, Jennifer Capriati is one of them, where you've heard about fathers who've been you know quite difficult on their on their kids. Um, you know, Andre Agassi's father. Uh, there's been there's been some others too, other female players who've who've had issues with 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 parents over the years i think it's it's a very fine line to draw when you have your parent as a coach uh, and there are a lot of them out there i mean you see sitsi pass uh, zverev um just to name a couple of them whose whose uh, parents are involved uh carolyn wozniacki's father was also uh coached uh, carolyn wozniacki it worked out well for her um but there's some some parents just you know they get they get so into it and they're living out their dream through their kids and um, you know, I, I haven't had a chance to to ever meet Fernandez's father or speak to him, but I've read a lot about him and and uh, interviews that I've seen with him. Seems like a really down to earth guy, uh, not born in Canada, immigrant who's come to Canada, uh, raised his daughter with his wife, who's also an immigrant to the country. Um, I think it's a really cool it's a really cool story to see um, how how two parents can you know not only um, manage their child, but then also manage them as a coach. And, and I think, you know, him not being there, maybe it's a good thing for her because she's a little more focused on her tennis than having her father, you know, there are some players, they handle it differently or better. And I'm not saying I know that relationship well enough to know if it, if it is a good thing for her to not have him around, I'm sure she'd love to have him there and be soaking up these moments for sure. But, um, you know, based on, based on who else is in her box, uh, she's got her, her physical trainer there who seems to be, uh, you know, he, he reminds me of Stephen Ames. The guy's a body double of totally. That's uh, amazing yeah. you call that. He's yeah. a dead ringer yeah. for Ames. He's a dead ringer for Stephen Ames. And, uh, you know, maybe Ames is a little bit more care, a little more laid back than this guy who's always, you know, fist pumping and, you know, yelling and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's fun to watch. So I'm sure, uh, you know, she'd like to have his, have her father there with her. Um, uh, maybe there's a way that he can come for the final if she gets to the final, but, uh, you know, like I said, uh, some some players handle it better when the coach isn't there. Some need to have their coach there for every single match all the time. Uh, it really just depends on the player. Well, John, let's get to the semifinal because uh, before we get to Felix, we'll finish up with Layla. Um, she does sure. have an absolutely incredible challenge. And you mentioned Sabalenka. Uh, you know, Layla is 5'9" maybe on a good day, uh, a very small <laughs> woman slate. She just turned 19 years old. Meanwhile, yeah. Sabalenka, uh, incredible size, incredible power, um, ground strokes. Um, this is going to be an incredible challenge. But I guess if you if you want to be confident about what Layla's done, um, she's played some other players that have sort of this this setup. I mean, the, the structure, although I will say Sabalenka, mm-hmm. maybe even more so than even Osaka, more on top of her game, playing with an incredible power. What is she going to be up against and what will she have to do to make it to the final? Well, the one thing Sabalenka does, uh, she kind of plays similar to what I would say Denis Shapovalov plays. She's kind of a go for broke. She hits a lot of, lot of, she's got a lot of power, goes for a lot of shots, goes for a lot of lines, a lot of corners. Uh, so Fernandez is going to be moved around the court quite a bit. And I think she can handle that because she's already seen the power uh, that Svitolina and Osaka bring to the table. And I would say Sabalenka almost takes it up just a little bit more than that. Uh, but the difference is I think Osaka and Svitolina keep the ball in the court a little more than uh, Sabalenka does. Um, Sabalenka's got a big serve. Uh, she's got a good backhand. 
Um, she's played a lot of doubles over the past few years. She's actually a really good doubles player too. So she knows how to come to the net. She moves well as well. Uh, and she's got the experience in one tournaments. Now, has she gone deep like this in grand slams? No, uh, but she has won tournaments and she knows what to do against certain players. They never played against each other. Um, so I I've always thought, you know, in the matches, uh, with Osaka and Kerber, um, even so against Svitolina, even though, you know, Fernandez had played her once before and lost, um, you know, when you play a player the very first time, it's often very difficult to get a read on what that player is like. You can watch video, you can look at practice video, you can watch matches and that sort of thing. But until you actually go on the court and play the player, uh, it's often difficult to get a read on what that player is like. And I think that, you know, that was an advantage that Fernandez had. And I think that's what an advantage sometimes you see in these grand slams with some of these players doesn't happen all the time, obviously, but what we're seeing this year is that Fernandez had never played Kerber. Kerber had never seen Fernandez before. Osaka had never seen Fernandez before. And I think that goes to the advantage of the player who is the lower ranked player because the expectations aren't as high. You're sort of going in there. Let's see what happens. Go for broke. Whereas the seeded players are the ones whose backs are going to be against the wall because, hey, who is this? Who is this 73rd ranked Canadian you know, I'm the number three player in the world. I'm the number five. I've won slams before. Uh, I should be winning. And then the pressure shifts over to those players. So I think that's an advantage for Fernandez. Um, you know, and it has been an advantage so far. Will it be an advantage against Sabalenka? We'll see. I mean, she made pl- pretty uh, quick work of the French Open champion in Krajikova um, in her quarterfinal. And so much so she actually went out to the practice court after she played to hit some more because it was hardly a match for her. So um, we'll see what we'll see what it uh, what she brings to the table for Fernandez. I think it's going to be a tough match. Um, can Fernandez win it? Certainly think so. I mean, there's no reason to think if she can't. She's beating all these other players. There's no reason to think she can't beat uh, Sabalenka too. So, uh, it'd be fun to watch and win or lose. I think, uh, you know, this has obviously been a a great tournament for her and she's going to move way up into the top 40 in the world rankings. So, um, you know, she's going to be on the scene for a while here and, uh, we're going to start talking about, you know, a second Canadian player, a lot more than just the one that uh, we usually have been talking about in Andrescu. Talking tennis in the U S open and the two Canadians in the semis with John Horn. You can follow him on Twitter at sports horn. Let's move over to Felix Oje Aliasim on the men's side. Uh, kind of anticlimactic last night, John, to be honest with you. A retirement yeah. in the second set, uh, a walkover, and he's on to the semifinals. I mean, a huge uh, moment for Felix, not the way that you'd probably want to achieve it. Uh, but take us through his path to this point. Um, certainly hasn't been working as much OT as Layla has been. Yeah, I mean, he did have a five-set win uh, earlier in the tournament, which was just his second one of his career. So we'll we'll give him credit for that. But yeah, in terms of match time on the court, um, you know, has has had uh, you know that match. I think was a you know, it's funny. Sometimes you wonder if that's an advantage or a disadvantage for a player when they don't get to play the full match. Um, you know, I, Osaka even mentioned it after she she lost to Fernandez in the third round. That she got a walkover in the second round. Uh, her player couldn't play because she was injured something that she's never had happen before. And uh, she said that that was actually a detriment to her because she'd only played the one match and not the two. So at least Felix got half a match in or however you want to look at it, a third of a match, I guess, six, three, three, one. Um, but, you know, uh, it's funny how, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think this is great for Felix that he's in the semifinals, but it's almost being overshadowed by, uh, by Fernandez, you know, and, and, you know, Felix is, he's risen into the top 20, top 15 in the world. Uh, he, he's proven that he can play against the big players. He's been in eight finals, although he hasn't won a set or any of those finals yet, um, which is, which is a quite startling number to lose eight titles, uh, eight finals and never get a set. 
Um, but he's sort of been coming along and you kind of wondered, okay, is this going to be the time for him, you know, even a couple tournaments ago? And uh, he's really started to take that to take that next level, whereas Fernandez has just come out of the blue pretty much. Uh, I don't think that uh, anybody expected that from her. When people looked at the draw, did they see who Felix was in or what portion of the good players were in Felix's draw? For sure. He's had a little bit of an advantage with some guys getting knocked out. Um, you know, having to play an unseeded player in the quarterfinals is not always something that happens happens that often. So got to take advantage of that. Um, but I, th- I think that, you know, he had a good win against Roberto Batista good, who's a, who's a very solid player. Um, you know, now he gets Daniel Medvedev who he played a couple years ago in, in uh, Toronto and lost seven, six in the third set. Um, you know, I think it's going to be a, a very entertaining match. Is it a match that Felix can win? I definitely think so. Um, Medvedev has been to the U S open final before he's got the experience. Uh, obviously he's won more titles than Felix has as, uh, you know, number two in the world, uh, brings a tough game, a big baseline game can move around the court very well, um, serves very well, but can Felix win? I think he definitely can. There's no reason to think that he can again, kind of like Layla is that, you know, the, the pressure is going to be on Medvedev. People think that Medvedev is going to win. Uh, so Felix can just go about his business. If he serves well, it keeps his forehand, uh, consistent which sometimes he has trouble with, uh, comes to the net and volleys as well as he can and, um, you know, just, just tries to keep the ball in the court and let's see if, see what see what happens. But I, I certainly think that certainly think it can be done. And, uh, you know, to then get a, to get a Canadian in the final um, would just be over the top. Whether it's, you know, if we can get both of them in the final, that would be outstanding. <laughs> but to get one of them in there, uh, would would be great as well. Well, it certainly would be. And it's already been an incredible run for Canadian tennis. And everyone is talking about what's in it. Layla says it's the maple syrup. I'm not sure that that's on the training table every day for both Felix and uh, the rest. And Canadian, the rest. Classic Canadian line. I will say, I will <laughs> say one thing is that, you know, I like, I like the line and Vasek actually, I don't know if Vasek, Vasek possible, if you remember earlier, I think it was last year where he was actually drinking maple syrup on the court. <laughs> yeah, and and it's right. so funny. It's so Canadian, so Canadian. Canadian. Um, it's kind of funny how like I, I like the analogy. It was funny. It worked and everything. But man, does like in Canada, can we have any more stereotypes than hockey and maple syrup? <laughs> like, I, I mean, it, you know, I, it, it's you know, take another country and you hear about, you know, all the different countries and they have they stereotype the one thing that they're known for. Like does Germany talk about cars all the time because they make so many cars. You know, it's 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 pretty crazy. So um, I thought it was I thought it was a fine moment. The though. funny thing, though, is that now people are talking about Canadians and tennis and i guess yeah. the big question is and you sort of went over this at the start but we've seen you know milos and genie which is the only other time in history 2014 wimbledon i believe that canada had a semifinalist yeah. on the men's and the women's side um yeah. you know we felix you know yeah. coming in uh bianca with her incredible win a few years back and now Layla annie and felix i, I guess the question that a lot of people around the world are asking how did we get here because we are not a country that, you know, was known for producing world-class yeah. contending in Grand Slam tennis champions. Well, we are now. I mean, it's it's not just about hockey now, right? So it's, uh, it's, it's good to see that uh, Canada is making a dent, not just in tennis, but in all other sports as well. I mean, look what women's soccer, what we're doing, uh, women's hockey now. We've got the, the gold medal in the world championship. So we've taken that away from the U.S., 
you know, look what we've done on the golf scene this year in the majors with Corey Connors and and uh, and company, right? Like it's been it's been impressive. We're doing it in all these other sports. So I, I think what's neat about it is that Canada is not being known just as hey, you play hockey up there, right? A kind of thing. You know, it's now look, we got the world's best decathlete in the world. Um, you know, we've got one of the fastest runners in the world. Um, we've got great golfers. We've got good tennis players. We got baseball players. Joey Votto. Uh, the list goes down the line, uh, starting with him. How good tennis player? Or how good baseball players we are now. Uh, but I mean, it's really been you know what Tennis Canada has done for tennis in Canada. Uh, the amount of money that um, they've put in to help some of these players get to the next level. Not all players, but some of them. Uh, providing the facilities in the winter months when you know some players don't have the money to go down to Florida or, or go to California and train that they've actually created facilities in Toronto in Montreal they're building one in Vancouver where the players can actually play in the winter indoors uh, with nice weather uh, or whether the weather's nice in outside or not they can go indoors and play stuff like that um, you know I know Felix uh, Felix Ojeali Sim has actually given money back to Tennis Canada just based on the fact that he got money to help him get to the next level um so they've done a really nice job with you know developing players and giving them help and facilities to to uh to do well uh you know getting main getting qualifying wild cards main draw wild cards where they get some money um to actually you know get to the next level uh to get into some tournaments i mean it's expensive to play tennis so you, you don't just walk onto a tennis court and start playing i mean you're you're your own entity right you have to pay for your own hey just before we go um kind of nice to have a day just to relax and get ready for the next yes. couple of days uh, yes. i imagine you're doing the same thing uh fill people in on uh, what you've got cooking right now and uh what sort of content you're involved in going into these two big matches for uh canadians on the men's and women's side well, I just finished watching the Emma uh, Raducanu match, the 18-year-old who's born in Toronto. She is British, but we're going to say that she's another <laughs> Canadian who's got into the semifinals. Um, so I just finished watching that. This Zverev match is about to begin, so I'm going to be watching that. Uh, I should also mention Gabby Dabrowski won her quarterfinal today, so she's now in the women's double semifinals. So we got three semifinalists born in Canada, another one not bo- born in Canada but going going by a British uh, flag now. So we're dominating the U.S. Open uh, this year. Canada has taken over tennis. There's there's no doubt about it. So uh, so yeah. So uh, I've got uh, Labor Cup coming up at the end of the month. I'll be there for that. Uh, then I'll be doing Indian Wells. Uh, lots of other things going on. I'm actually involved in the NFL uh, season as well too with ESPN. So uh, lots of things going on and uh, we'll be, uh, you know, following the U S open carefully and getting back into uh, on-site tennis at the end of September, which will be nice. It's been a while since I've actually been able to uh, attend a tennis event. So it'll be nice to actually, uh, actually be there and, uh, and contribute from uh, on-site as opposed to uh, watching at home and waiting for borders and qu- uh, quarantines and things like that to all uh, wrap up. So it'll be nice to, uh, nice to get back out there. Well, this has been so much fun. Cannot wait to see Layla take the court in the semifinal and the same with Felix the following day. John, always love catching up with you, especially with so many great things to talk about in Canadian tennis. Enjoy the rest of the week and we will catch up very soon. Appreciate you as always. Absolutely. Let's see if we can get some of these Canadians in the finals. One, two, three, maybe four. Maybe we could get them all in there. That'd be, uh, be outstanding. So the one thing I'm just going to say before I go is that if Felix Ojealiassime or Layla Fernandez ends up winning uh, one of these, either in the women's or the men's, ends up winning the U.S. Open title. Do they get in contention, or are they the favorites, or are they still behind 
DeGrasse and Damian Warner for the Canadian Athlete of the Year? That is the big question that I'm interested in is how does that now, how, who, who has to vote on that? That's going to be tough to, to pick. You know what? I'm actually lucky enough to have a vote. And okay, uh, there we go. I've been a big, I've been a big tennis backer. So, I mean, to get it done, they'll need to win. Um, yes. Bianca have done it before. They'll certainly yeah. be in the conversation. Much more difficult to do in an Olympic year, though. I can tell you that. John, you be well. We'll talk soon. Enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Take there is John Horn. Check him out on Twitter at the Sports Horn covering tennis and much, much more. All right. Dave McCarthy's coming up in just a sec. Big shout out to our uh, sponsor, Canadian Club, the official spirit and whiskey of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. There'll be plenty of CC flowing at the Banjo Bowl on the weekend. Uh, you know that the Jim Beam Stillhouse, the Brugal Rum Hut will be packed. But before we get to Saturday... I told you we were going to do something special for the Banjo Bowl. And uh big shout out to our friend James and KT and the gang over at Canadian Club because uh, we promised yesterday we'd be doing a special social media contest heading into Friday. It is now live on both Facebook and Instagram at Sports Talk WPG. If you're not following us already, you should be. Get on that. Follow the instructions. We'll be grabbing contestants from Instagram as well as Facebook, putting them into the Friday Marble Race. And as you can see on the screen, we have an incredible bottle of special edition Canadian Club Chronicles 42-year-old whiskey. James sent this over. Uh, They released the Canadian Club 40-year-old in 2018, which was the oldest Canadian whiskey ever bottled. A few years earlier, the distillery team discovered what were thought to be lost barrels in a forgotten corner of a rack house. The success and demand behind that original race brought the Chronicles series we see now. Uh, Every year, there's a special release celebrating the rich uh, history of Canadian Club. Uh, The 41 was the Water of Windsor, a tribute to where CC was founded. And the 42 that we have is called the, uh, the Dock Man as a tribute to the guys who worked on the docks in the Detroit River, smuggling cases of CC into Detroit during Prohibition. Uh, in November, they'll be at the Spirits of Distinctions release. They'll be introducing the CC Chronicles 44-year-old called the Whiskey Sixes. Uh, this is, let's just say, folks, we're going to the top shelf for this promo. So uh, if you are a fan of whiskey, you need to get in on this. Whether you're on Facebook, whether you're on Instagram, go to both. Uh, enter, follow the instructions, and we'll be giving away this incredible bottle of 42-year-old Canadian Club Chronicles on Friday's episode of Winnipeg Sports Talk. Uh, I cannot wait to get to the game. Chris Abbott from Cool Bet's coming into town. We're going to be with our friends at Not Autocore for the game. Uh, Trevor and the gang at Not, big supporters of Winnipeg Blue Bombers and really big supporters of all things Winnipeg. Uh, and they're getting ready to open the new car lab on site at Not Autocorp, uh, doing wraps, customization, and much more. Uh, but of course, the bottom line is that if you are looking for a new vehicle, before you do anything, get on over to Not Autocorp at Waverly and McGillivray. Check out all the incredible whips on the lot, or you can talk to them about maybe going to find the car that you were looking for on a secondary market. Uh, they'll also service your car. They'll detail it. They'll do it all. And if you're in a vehicle now that you're looking to get out of, they'll help you get max value for that with their very successful consignment program. Why not get into the car of your dreams with Not Autocorp, Waverly and McGilvery, 
or online at not.ca. And folks, we're still squeezing a few more weeks out of summer, and there's nothing that says summer than more like than a trip to one of the four Nick and Nicky DQs here in Winnipeg, the Dairy Queen in Neverville, DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, and DQ St. Anne's. Nick and Nicky are waiting for you with those incredible blizzards, amazing burgers, chicken, and more. And if you are having an event or attending an event, maybe a little party now that we're able to gather in you know reasonable numbers, be the hero. Get one of those DQ cakes. You can get them at any of the locations. Or if you'd like to get something custom made, hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba. They'll get the order ready for you. You'll pop in quick and easy. Pick it up at any of the four Nick and Nikki DQs. And by the way, I'm not sure if DQ Nick's in here. Nick has die count. You've got to follow him on Twitter. Because he is dominating Burger Week, maybe as well as anybody. I think he's had about 25 so far with great reviews. So uh, DQ Nick doing some great work in the burger game as well. All right, let's get ready. Talk a little hockey right now as we uh, count down the days till training camp's opening. No one we love better off than taking a trip around the National Hockey League with then our man Dave McCarthy, staff in tow in the scenic backyard in the greater Toronto area. Look who's back from Sirius XM NHL Radio. It is Dave. What's going on? How are you, my friend? I thought you were actually uh, transitioning into my segment before you did the uh, the Nick and Nicky's DQ ad there when you said trying to squeeze a few more trips uh, out of summer. Nothing better than a trip into my yard. That's where I thought you were going, but I liked your segue even better. Got to keep the sponsors happy there. Uh, well, absolutely. I mean, uh, we could use a, a blizzard or uh, maybe some of that 42-year-old CC in the back of your oh. yard at some point. I know you are a bit of a connoisseur of some of the finer things, Dave. I mean, you've got a staff I'm for crying out loud. I'm a big whiskey loud. guy. Yeah, <laughs> this is true. No, I'm a big whiskey guy, big bourbon guy. I did a, I did a tasting last year about bourbon, actually. Learned a lot about it. Whiskey, similar concept with the aging uh, process and all that, how they sort of uh, get different flavors to come out, uh, where they where they age it in the warehouse, even in terms of the proximity to the wall. Obviously, it's colder along the wall and it is right in the middle. Like all those little things can can affect the nuance of the flavor. I just found it fascinating. So uh, that 42 year old ball, I don't know. Am I eligible for this? Because uh, I might need to get in on that. <laughs> you know, what? Hey, uh, speaking of. Uh of cheersing and cocktails uh i imagine there was quite a bit of that going on in carolina on the weekend when it became apparent that the montreal canadians were not yeah. going to match their offer for yes barry Kotkaniemi. a very different story in montreal although i'll give mark bergerman credit for sort of making the best of a a pretty tough situation uh we didn't speak last week let's go back to the previous saturday what was your reaction when you saw the news that Kokkinami had signed the offer sheet. And then of course, all the hilarity that ensued from at Canes on Twitter. Well, I was actually sitting in about the exact spot that I am uh, right now. I had got some work done in the yard. I came, sat down. I had a beer. This is not a beer, but I had a beer, put it down, started to check Twitter, see what was happening. And then I'm like, offer sheets. What? We never see these. Then I realized that was Carolina going back at Montreal for what they did with Sebastian Ajo a couple of years ago. Then I saw they changed their Twitter account to French. <laughs> they used mirroring statements to what Marc Bergevin said about Sebastian Ajo a couple of years ago and just changed the name. 
uh, the signing bonus. And then I remembered I've got a three-hour daily radio show to do every day about the National Hockey League. And, and I'll tell you, Huss, it was a little bit lean in August at times for material. And I'm like, well, this is great. I'm going to have a week's worth of material and nothing else even needs to happen. So I loved it personally uh, for my sake. And then I started thinking about, well, okay, uh, I love the content. I love the rollout. I'm not one of these guys that gets worked up about um, how they you know, played it off, all of the things we just mentioned. I thought the rollout on Twitter was awesome. They need to engage their fan base. And if you're going to do something like this, you might as well do it in a way that um, gets some attention on your fan base. So I thought that was fantastic. Um, it's the same thing we had the conversation with a bunch of jerks a couple of years ago with the uh, with a storm surge. I liked that then. Uh, and for the same reasons, look, if you're Montreal, if you're Toronto, the Rangers, whatever, team like that, you go on Twitter, you sign somebody to an offer sheet, and you go down the same route that Carolina did. I don't know if that's really your best course of action. But for Carolina, they're trying to attract fringe hockey fans. They're trying for the guy that or the girl who might just be, yeah, he likes the game, but not really particularly um, zeroed in on one team. You see these guys, you're like, man, these guys are fun. I'm going to be a fan of them. That's what they're after here. So no problem with that. <laughs> well, they are. Hold then on a second, Dave. The one thing, I'll, it, the one thing that I'll say, because I mean, I'm with you. I think there is a, a, a funny side to it that is somewhat marketable. But I don't really think this is all about marketing. I think this was as much as anything. They wanted to get their play, they, player. They did. And then they had the opportunity to, in legendary fashion, absolutely stick it to a team that they felt wronged by from two years ago. I'll tell you the one thing I've determined from all this. Tom Dundon, the owner of the Carolina Hurricanes, operates very differently than most of his counterparts in the NHL. And he's got a long memory. Um, was just talking about the uh, obvious revenge nature and the long memory on the part of Tom Dundon. Uh, because, of course, none of this happens without a sign-off from the from the owner of the hockey club. I mean, even if the GM wanted to do this, I mean, imagine this. I mean, this would never happen in Winnipeg, but uh, imagine if Kevin Dayoff was in a situation where he was so bent out of shape about something that happened in the past that he wanted to go and do that. You're not doing it without getting the green light from ownership from pretty much everywhere all the way up to the up to the top of the ladder but it's quite clear that Tom Dundon not only was on side with this but was probably the driving force in getting all of that out Dave I was just saying that yeah. Tom Dundon obviously has a long memory and uh, the Montreal Canadiens found that out maybe the hard way Oh, big time. Like I had Don Waddell on my program the Friday before the offer sheet was extended. And I asked him just after the Svechnikov signing, he saw a lot of cap space. I said, Don, are you done? Like if you wanted to, you could add. Are you sniffing around on some things? And he goes, well, no, we're, we're doing more than just sniffing around. We're working on some things as we speak. And I was like, oh, interesting. And then lo and behold, this is what it turned out to be. See, here's what it, it confuses me, Huss, is that I don't know why Carolina felt as um, affronted as they did about the Sebastian Ajo offer sheet. Because in a roundabout way, they helped them get their business done. Montreal did two years ago. And that was a perfectly reasonable offer sheet. 8.4, uh, I think you could make the argument that already Sebastian is underpaid for what he has delivered through the first two years of that deal. Other than the money up front, I know it was a lot, and that's not really Carolina's way of doing business, but my goodness, you get a guy like that under contract, 8.4 a year, 
if you don't match that, what are you doing here? They matched that, and I think it helped them. I don't understand why they felt as affronted as they did, but that's that's Tom Dundon's prerogative. What confuses me now, Hustler, is the fact that they don't seem to be owning the revenge aspect of this as 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 much as they should. I mean, Tom Dundon was on a radio station in Toronto yesterday, and he said uh, essentially that, uh, look, we wanted the player. Um, that's not why we did it. But if they hadn't have done it to us, it probably wouldn't have happened to them. So, like, you just kind of contradicted yourself, right? So that, that to me, is, is really bizarre. And, and in this case, the Yasmerikot Kinyemi offer sheet was completely unreasonable, ludicrous. Three times more did they extend him uh, an offer than he should have otherwise gotten. And now, as I always say, okay, now that you've got the player, do you still like him at the price you're going to have to pay him this year? And ultimately, we'll see. In a year where it looks like they have a team that can contend for a cup, I think they're, they're right in that range to go out and use the remaining cap space that they did in that, in that fashion, I don't think that w- was the best course of, of doing business, but we'll, we'll see how it all plays out now. So let's talk about how the Habs handled this. Uh, they took the full week. They waited right till the end. And I think now we know why is that they were trying to figure out a way to minimize the damage of the loss from Kotkaniemi leaving. And they already lost Phil Deneau. I mean, that's a big, big blow to your center ice position if you lose two of your top four guys. They get Christian Dvorak, who, you know, you could make an argument, or I will hear, that, you know, he might be a more finished player. The upside might not be as high as Jesperi Kokkinami, but you know what you're getting, and you also have cost certainty over the course of the next three or four years when we're having a flat cap. How do you feel that Mark Bergevin made out in a very difficult situation that was presented to him? Well, I agree with your your argument about Dvorak being a more finished player. You have some certainty as to what you're going to get out of him. Problem with Kakinyemi is he was like a wavelength out of control. He was up and he was down. He was up and he was down. But there was very little consistency in in what he brought on a daily basis. And uh, from a coaching standpoint, that's frustrating because when he's good, he's he's great. But when he's not good, he's he's making no impact on the game, if not hurting you. Um, so you get a bit more consistency in Dvorak. Bergevin also discussed the fact that, look, they weren't ready to make a decision long-term on Kotkaniemi um, to go long-term right now. Okay, I get that, and quite frankly, neither am I, if I'm the general manager of Montreal. So they get Dvorak with four years left at a salary that is much more equitable in terms of their own team salary structure that, that Mark also referenced. You know, think of it this way. If they're paying Kakinyemi six and Suzuki goes out and shoots the lights out next year, what do you think he's going to ask for? Well, probably a lot more than they'd like to pay him based on what Kakinyemi would be making at six. Maybe this will help them keep Suzuki's salary a little bit more in line. And then if the situation should present itself down the road where you want to go out and further add to your, your depth up the middle of the ice, um, you, you can maybe stomach Dvorak being a third-line center at four and change. Um, there's room now. There's a bit of flexibility. So I think Mark Bergevin did fairly well um, since uh, since this went down last Saturday in getting out from under that situation. But I think where you have to look at is and say, is okay, is Montreal better at center as a whole than they were when the season ended in the Stanley Cup final? And my argument to that would be no, not nearly as good. 
Now you're going to have to ask one of Suzuki or, or likely uh, Christian Dvorak, maybe Jake Evans. I don't think he's quite at that level, though, yet, um, to take on significant minutes against the other team's top line. That was Phil Dano's uh, area of expertise. Um, are any of those younger players ready to take on that responsibility? I don't know. And if they do, what will it do to what they want them to be able to produce offensively? Probably eat into that a little bit. So I don't think Montreal is improved from where they were at the end of last season, which to me is is sort of my focus point. Yeah, um, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I don't know. I mean, you'd have to really get this in an off-the-record conversation. I don't think anyone is going to be going out and, you know, publicly being on the record with their reaction to it. But what do you think other GMs around the league have thought about this back and forth between Montreal? And does it do anything to even, if it's possible, even further discourage future offer sheets under the current CBA right now? I think it probably does. Um, I think probably most other general managers are sending Tom Dundon uh, his favorite bottle of wine now because <laughs> what, he, what he's done is made it clear that, look, if you screw me, I will try to screw you. And the last time it happened with, the, uh, with a successful offer sheet, uh, Brian Burke, Kevin Lowe almost came to blows in a barn in upstate New York. I think we remember that. And then before that, it was St. Louis and Vancouver. Uh, it was Steve Bernier, and I, I think it was David Bax, if I'm not mistaken, from St. Louis. Um, basically, one week to the next, they turn around and offer sheeted the other team as payback. So I, I don't think it's a very good mechanism of procuring talent. One, if you give a, a reasonable offer sheet, it gets matched. And then two, the only way to get a player is to dramatically overpay like they've done with, with Kakenyemi to put the other team in a position where they even think of not matching. And then, like I say, do you like the player? And then in a roundabout way, you're going to get uh, attacked uh, years down the road. It's like that old thing, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. I'm not going to tell you when, but I'm going to get you. Like, you know, who wants that? So I think this is done, if anything, more to discourage offer sheets than anything else. Carolina got their guy. Good for them. At 6.1, though. Better be good. There's a lot of expectations because this is going to be a year where Carolina wants to contend. And if Jesperi Kotkaniemi is not pulling his weight at $6 bucks a year, uh, he's going to be hearing a lot about underperformance. Yeah, no doubt. I, I think the one thing that many people, and I'm, to be honest, in this camp, I do expect that come January there'll be an extension uh, that's probably on paper already between the two that adds a number of years at a much lower AAV and sort of comes into, you know, a high four, maybe a five for a number of times. But again, everything can change. You can have a terrible first half of the season or you can score 25 goals and then maybe we're having a bit of a different conversation. Let's move away from this. Uh, Ottawa re-signed Pierre Dorian yesterday. Um, You know, he's been through some real tough times in Ottawa. I've seen this team a goal away from the cup final and then 18 months later being the worst team in the National Hockey League and trading away Eric Carlson. Um, still, he's done a lot of work. I mean, they got Drake Batherson done. Uh, but I would imagine, Dave, that when you're hearing from Sens fans that heard there was a big signing, they were hoping it was Brady Kachuk, maybe more than the general manager. What do you make of Dorian's extension? And now what we're hearing is somewhat of a, a stalemate right now between the Kachuk camp and the Sens. Yeah, I think Pierre Dorian has earned the right to be extended. I think he's done a tremendous job in the last 
couple of years of really turning this team around under very difficult circumstances and procuring a lot of high-level, quality, exciting young talent. Remember, like, when was that? Three years ago now where Eugene Melnick sat between two ferns with Mark Borbietsky and kind of... <laughs> kind of laid out his plan. Uh, you know, it was kind of a corny setting to do it in, but a lot of what he said has started to play itself out. And and I agree. I think they're in a position now where they should think of taking a step forward. The rebuild is done. That doesn't mean they're ready to win a Stanley Cup, but it means that they've procured their young talent. Now it's time to develop them and get them into the, the National Hockey League and see what they're capable of. And you hope that the talent that you have put together um, is a group that will uh, take the team to where you want to go. So it's no longer about finding young talent. It's about seeing what this young talent is capable of. Pierre Dorian's done a great job of, of putting that together. So he's earned the right, I think, to see this through and to, to continue to tinker um, around the edges and see if he can round this into a finished product. So I think that was the right call to, to, um, to extend Pierre uh, Dorian. Um, as for Brady Kachuk right now, it's such a difficult situation because he's such a difficult player to ascribe a value to. He is not a 85, 95-point-a-year type guy. Maybe at the high end of his career at some point he'll do it, but I don't think that's, that's really what his game is all about. He's, he's got offensive ability, but it's everything that comes along with him. His size, his determination, his physicality his ruggedness, his leadership, all things that I think you really need to have on a team in order to have success, but things that are very difficult to put a value on. Uh, Brady also understands, though, that he not only is driving the bus, uh, I think he essentially owns the bus in Ottawa. He knows how important he is to that team. So he's asking for some money, more the power, more power to him. He, he's earned the right to, to ask for some money. He deserves it. Everybody in a similar position would uh, conduct themselves the same way. Uh, it's just how much, uh, how much value are you willing to put on a guy that, um, to me, is probably a playoff type of guy, right? Like he's, he's, he's a Sean Couturier. He's a Ryan O'Reilly. Like he's one of those type of guys where he's never going to finish in the top five in scoring during the regular year where everybody finds it very easy to describe value to. But um, once you get into the playoffs, man, is that guy going to wear you down over the course of a seven-game series and on a long run to a Stanley Cup? There's value there. So I'd, I'd be willing to pay him some money. Like I'd, I'd, I'd go eight times eight with him, see if that's enough to get it done. I think he'd be pretty confident in that. Um, I think he wants to be in Ottawa. Um, so that's sort of how I see it playing out, but I think they're haggling right now because he's a tough guy to put, um, a numerical value on. Yeah. I mean, I, I really have a feeling that they, that sends are fine with the money, but are grinding for the eight year term. Uh, because let's not forget what happened to a uh, big brother, Matthew in Calgary. Mm-hmm. I mean, he ended up doing a three-year deal. The final year is $9 million. The Flames have to qualify Matthew Kachuk at $9 million next year. And if he wants, he can just take the qualifying offer. I mean, right. it's not an envi- enviable situation, in my opinion, for Brad Treleving. And that will come to a head at some point. And that's been in the background of everything else that Calgary has been trying to do, apparently, but hasn't really done so far, you know, significantly changing the core this year uh, with the Flames. But let's move further west 
because to me, the most when we talk about still the free agents, I mean, the UFA market is a bunch of guys that'll be getting maybe PTOs or getting league minimum deals if there's a spot for them. But by far the most significant free agency situation in the league right now, Dave, as we get into the month of September is on the West Coast with the Vancouver Canucks. And I mean, I'm looking at cap friendly. Canucks have less than $11 million of cap space and have to sign both Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. How do they get this done? And does either of them get a long-term deal that keeps them as of when they sign that deal as a Canuck for five, six, eight years? Yeah, I mean, there are some other outstanding RFAs still available. We just talked about uh, Kachuk, Darlene down in Buffalo, Karuka Prisov in Minnesota, but he got two on the same team. And let's be honest, if they don't get those guys in tow, Vancouver's not going anywhere. They, they're going to need Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes to be at the forefront of their success this season. Um, I think they'd like to get one of them done on a long-term deal. I'd have to look at their calf situation um, more closely to see if they have uh, any wiggle room where they can find a few more dollars um, at this point. But I think, you know, you look at Quinn Hughes right now, and I think, I think the Miro Heiskanen deal is probably fair in, in Dallas as a comparable. I think you'd like to get him at eight years. He's a guy that can drive the offense. Um, he can man your power play. Uh, he's not a guy that you want on the ice when you're up a goal with a minute left. That's okay, though, because he's got a skill set that a lot of guys don't have, which is his offensive ability, and you need that. So um, I, I'd be looking at at the Heiskanen deal, the Thomas Shabbat deal as comparables. I think Heiskanen's a better player. I think uh, Shabbat might be a little bit further along in his development. Um, if you could get him in at eight times eight, I think that would be a real home run. Um, and, and for Patterson, I think the bridge deal would be the right course of action right now because he's coming off a year where he was really no good. Uh, he was, he was out for most of the year with injury and he's never really done it over an 82 game season. Um, and I'd like to see that, uh, before I'm willing to commit long-term because part of his skill set or part of any skill set, I think is an ability to be available. And he's had a hard time staying healthy at times. He's a, he's a, a taller and a frail isn't the right word, but um, you know, he, he tends to be susceptible to injury. So I'd, I'd like to see him do that over the course of an 82 game season and lead the team on a run into the playoffs. And I think if he, if he, he's not in a great negotiating position right now, given off the, the given off the year he had last year, you could get him in on a deal. You know, I think the, the Braden point contract's pretty good. Uh, the last one, right? The bridge deal that he signed in Tampa Bay. It's a pretty good uh, sort of starting point. Get him in three years, six and a half, seven. Uh, they're going to have to find some money for sure. Uh, but I think that would be fair. Keep his salary down a little bit. And then he can still hit a home run at 24-25 when he puts a couple good seasons under his belt. So that's the way I'd like to see Vancouver try and handle it. But it's not going to be easy right now uh, because he would like a long-term deal too at big money. I think he's you're fairly sure what you're going to get, but I don't think you're going to be able to 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 lock both those guys up on long-term deals the way Vancouver's cap situation is right now. Dave McCarthy's with us on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Give him a follow on Twitter at Dave A McCarthy. Uh, Dave cannot let you leave without mentioning the big news from the NHL last week. They're going to the Olympics. Um, barring anything falling out in a, a complete 180, it is happening. 
And uh, you want to talk about a gift for those of us in the hockey content business. This is the gift that we'll keep on giving uh, at any given time. Open the phones, get the text line going, talk about Team Canada, and you will be full. Um, It's so much talent on this club. Although the one thing that, you know, with all due respect to Carey Price, who's been one of the great goalies in Canadian history, and Marc-Andre Fleury that had that great Vesna Trophy winning season last year. I mean, the one area of concern for Canadians, if you, you know, subscribe to the fact that let's see what happens based on, you know, regular seasons is that um, they really have to rely on a couple of veterans more so than the other teams. And the the depth of the goaltending position seems to be much better in some of the other countries than Canada. And that's not a conversation we're used to having. No, it, it, it isn't. But, you know, you hope that one of Carey Price or Marc-Andre Fleury will be um, at a level where you feel confident going into the tournament. And quite frankly, uh, I'm not interested in in three, four goalies deep. I mean, if you got to go three, four goalies deep in a tournament, you've probably got bigger issues. You need two guys. And um, I, I think both those guys are going to be at a level where you're going to be okay relying on them. You know, for a lot of years, it was uh, Patrick Waugh and then Marty Brodeur and Curtis Joseph and Ed Belfour. No, okay, but like you know, at the end of the day, it was it was it was Marty Brodeur carrying the load in in 2002, and uh, you know, I guess uh, I guess was 2006 as well, and then in um, and then in 2010 and 14, it was it was Carey Price. So um, as long as one of those guys is is at a level, I think they'll be just fine in goal. Um, what I'm interested in is is that when you just look at Canada and the United States. Um, Connor McDavid, uh, Nathan McKinnon, they're going to be big parts of this team. Maybe, maybe Mitchell Marner, maybe Mark Shifley, we'll see. Um, but certainly McKinnon and, and McDavid. Uh, but the thing for them is there's not going to be nearly the pressure on them that there will be for the American kids. Uh, the guys like um, Austin Matthews and Johnny Gaudreau and um, Jack Eichel, if he's at a level where he can compete, if he gets his injury situation sorted out, Kyle Connor in your parts. Uh, as well. Um, those are the guys that are going to have to carry Team USA. Patrick Kane's going to be there, but other than that, it's it's the young guys who are the face of that team. In Canada, still going to have Sidney Cross who being a big part of this program. I think Brad Marchand's going to be a big part of this program. I think Patrice Bergeron going to be a big part of this program. All guys that have been there, done that at the international level. Don't be surprised if Drew Doughty is there when push comes to shove in February as well. I know all the analytics people are you know, jumping off a cliff right now when they hear me say that. But man, coaches love when you know what you're going to get out of a guy. And it's a guy who's been there and done that before. And I think Drew will be one of those guys. So my point is, is that there will be a lot of guys that are held over from the last group that were big parts of that team then that are still capable of being big parts of this team again in February. Like Sidney Crosby, he had like 62 points in 54 games last year. and, And people are, no one talks about that. I mean, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. I know he didn't have 150 games, but 62 and 54 is still pretty darn good. And Sydney's going to be a guy that is capable of carrying this team on his back, along with Marshawn, along with Bergeron, you know, probably Dowdy as well. Um, so, so look, if McDavid and McKinnon go and they light the lamp and they tear the tournament up, great. But if they don't and it doesn't go their way for whatever reason, Canada has different um, options for success, whereas the United States, if their young guys aren't driving the bus, uh, Patty Kane alone will not get it done. You know, I have to ask you about it while we're at it. And some people, Rob Mahoney and uh, Wayne Jones, are bringing it up in the chat. 
the Chinese are in the tournament. They're the 32nd ranked team in the league, um, in the world, I should say, not the yeah. league. Um, they are going to, I mean, what's the, what's the, what's the line? What will be the betting spread when Canada plays the Chinese in that? I mean, like 15 goals, um, it is. It's unfortunate that of the way that it's set up, and that, that we can't have a more competitive team. Uh, but again, that is part of what the Olympics, and apparently they're going to go through with it. Um, there could be uh, some ugly, ugly results for the hosts, considering I believe they're in a group with Canada, the United States, and Germany in that group stage. Yeah, and Germany's no slouch either. Like they'll have Leon Dreisaitl and Philipp Grubauer. Um, maybe Maurice Sider on the back end as well. I mean, he had none at the NHL level yet, but uh, Dreisaitl, Maurice Sider, and Philippe Brubauer is not a bad center number one D uh, goalie combination. So they're not a pushover either. Um, I don't know. Like, do you think Canada could beat the Chinese if they told them you have to play with the opposite stick? Like, Sid, you got to shoot right. Connor, you got to shoot right. Nathan, you got to shoot left. I mean, they might be able to. They, they might be able to. Like, and it's no disrespect. It's just. They're just not at the level that Canada is right now. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll put it this way. I think Canada's going to win those games convincingly, and then I think they're going to get to a point where they essentially just dump it in and get off the ice because, um, you know, you don't want to run up the score. Uh, there's there's a, a history here in Canada of not showing up your opponent, which I think is the right way, um, on home soil in China. You don't want to. You don't want to win the game twenty to nothing. And I bet if they tried for sixty minutes, they probably could. So you know, I I wouldn't bet on those games because you know if the line had set something ridiculous like fifteen and a half, they probably could get there. But I also don't think they're going to win the game by fifteen goals because I think they'll shut it down after they get up eight eight nine nothing something like that. Yeah, it'll just be a Harlem Globetrotters uh, operation with the Washington Generals passing around and uh, getting the clock uh, a clock out. Hey, last minute, um, you mentioned Jack Eichel. Uh, what are you hearing? Uh, what's the latest on this Eichel situation? Hard to believe that we're now into September. There is no resolution to it, and he has still yet to have his injury that we knew of at the end of last season worked on, Dave. As far as we know, uh, I have not heard any difference. Um, it. <laughs> Put it this way, now that he's got different representation um, uh, with Pat Brisson, I think that's, that's probably a good, a good thing. That uh, release that was sent out, um, I don't know, a month or so ago now with his two agents said, what was it, like 9 o'clock on a Friday night? I don't know what the heck that was, but it certainly didn't help move the situation forward. It's a shame that they've procrastinated to this extent. Um, and the whole summer, like no one's had a longer off season, not just than the Buffalo Sabres, but then Jack Eichel, like he was done in February and Buffalo knew they weren't going anywhere and they should have known at that point, let's just get this situation sorted out properly so that he's healthy. And they haven't moved on the issue for 10 months. Like it just, um, a master class in how to mismanage a situation. I think quite frankly, on a number of different fronts, Buffalo's and, and frankly, Eichel's situation as well. Um, until they get a confirmation and a resolution to his, his medical situation. I don't know how they trade him. Like I would just be very, very leery as another general manager to assume the cap hit at 10, the term at, I believe five more years, and then to pay the price that Buffalo is going to want for uh for Jack Eichel in trade 
with the uncertainty of, of figuring out how he's going to play once he gets back in the lineup from his, his next situation. This is not a, you know, a, a, a broken arm or anything like it's a neck situation. You, you don't know. There's so much uncertainty here until they get that sorted out with the neck. I don't know how they trade him. So, um, you know, if, if they haven't traded him by camp, do they make him report? Do they make him get out there in front of the media? Like what a basket case situation that would be. Um, do they just say, look, we're going to trade you. Don't worry. Don't come. Um, we don't need you to come out in front of the media and all of this. Like it's going to be fascinating to see how they handle it, but really it's just a mess from start to finish. Well, and, and I mean, we wonder, I mean, the Olympics aren't that far away That's the from thing. what we've heard. Like the recovery period for this surgery, regardless of which way they go, is a number of months. And the longer this takes, I mean, you want to stick it to Jack Eichel even more. Not that I think I, they want to do what's right for the Sabres and get what they're asking for. But the fact that this may cost him the Olympics in 2022, when this happened in 2020, is um, well not ideal for all parties involved. Dave, what do you got going on these days? Uh, you fill us in on when we can hear you on Sirius XM and uh, what you're working on as we get closer to training camp. Yeah, a couple more days of uh, hockey today, 9 a.m. Eastern on NHL Network Radio. Hard to believe we've been doing the show for seven weeks now. Uh, that'll come to an end Friday. Getting back to regularly scheduled programming. So the brunch... Uh, we'll resume at some point in early October, either the 3rd or the 10th. Haven't zeroed in on the date, but you follow me on Twitter at Dave A. McCarthy. You won't miss it uh, once we decide on the date. And then uh, Leafs training camp just around the corner. So uh, starting to dig into that again with uh, NHL.com. Rookie camp coming up this week. So uh, lots happening uh, right now with uh, the Maple Leafs. And um, it's hard to believe. I mean, the, we, we are still a month ahead of, I think, where we think we are in the calendar with how the season was pushed back and then free agency at the end of July. I mean, it feels like it's just early August, but you know, here we are after Labor Day and it's go time with, uh, with training camp. So it's an exciting time of year. Um, and let's just uh, let's get it going, Hustler. Well, I can tell you, I- I'm available to come on, talk about the offseason champs and uh, how fired oh. up everyone is in Winnipeg about yeah. the upcoming season. We always joke. I mean, we've got it funny about raising other banners. Uh, we did raise a banner, Dave, offseason champs after the Dylan and Schmidt signing. People are really excited. They I'm just should looking, be. I'm looking at Murata Tesh's piece. We're going to have Murata on tomorrow uh, with the full feedback from the Jets fan survey. Uh, but honestly, I can't remember this much optimism. I mean, even after 2018, there was a lot, but it was almost like it was more expected because the team had come so close and you saw those players well, with everything that's changed, the issues on the blue line the last couple of years, and now these additions without taking anything off the roster. Uh, you've got a fan base here that is uh, is ready to go for October and uh Hopefully the Winnipeg Jets will be in that same situation. Always great having you on the program, dude. Thanks for doing this. You be well, and uh, we'll talk to you uh, very soon. Awesome. Cheers, Huss. Always good to be on, buddy. (laughs) There he is, Dave McCarthy, at Dave A. McCarthy on Twitter. And uh, you can check him out right now doing the mornings on Sirius XM NHL Radio. And uh, when we get into the season, he will be covering the Maple Leafs and hosting the Sirius XM Sunday brunch. Great hockey chat with Dave. We will have some more hockey talk tomorrow. We'll go through Murata Tesh's Winnipeg Jets fan survey. Part two coming out tomorrow in The Athletic. You can check out part one today. 
Uh, big shout out to our friends at Boston Pizza. Burger Week is continuing. And uh, our friends at Boston Pizza have three awesome options for you at three different Boston pizzas. Uh, if you go over to the BP on Keniston, you can try the Seasburger. It's the ultimate kitchen and bar collab. Boston Pizza's signature Caesar cocktail meets a burger. At BP Taylor, we've got the Jalapeno Mac and Cheeseburger. Incredible burger topped with the jalapeno and bacon spiked mac and cheese served on a garlic butter brioche bun. And BP Henderson is pumping out the Bourbon Barbecue Bacon Burger uh, with all the good stuff, a Cool Ranch drizzle topped with an onion ring and on uh, one of those delicious brioche buns. Uh, Boston Pizza, get in for Burger Week. And don't forget, Boston Pizza, whoops, Saturday or Friday night, 7 p.m. Myself, Reem, Dustin Nielsen, Chris Abbott from Cool Bet. We'll fire up a uh, week one NFL edition of the Lock Shop. We're going to record it live from BP and invite everyone to come down, have a few with us. Uh, cheers, get ready for the Banjo Bowl and get ready for an incredible weekend for football fans of both the three down game and the four down game. That's at Boston Pizza City Place Friday night. Hope to see you there. And of course, the Cinnaboya Downs. We're getting down to the final few days of the live racing season. Going to try and get out there next week one more time before it's all said and done. But tonight, we're back for live racing. 7.30 parade to post. You can get much better picks than myself and Remus's at 6.45 with the ASD Live Show with Kirk and Stretch. Uh, and if you are betting on HPIBet.com from home like we are, um, you can watch the races live or even a little bit after the fact on the YouTube channel. And of course, as always, they'll be open at a similar downs throughout the year, even after live racing. VLT is open at 9 a.m. every day and the Terrace Dining Room open as well by reservation only. Find out more at ASDowns.com. We'll get to our picks before the end of the show um, and I'll give you a quick Breezy Bend golf update. Ryder Cup announced today the captain's picks for Team USA. Steve Stricker, probably making a lot of the guys on the team very happy, has left Patrick Reed off the team. Uh, hell of a golfer, hell of a match play warrior, not a great teammate, Pat Reed is out despite coming back and playing in the tour championship after his uh, bilateral pneumonia, as he uh, referred to it as. Uh, but the three, the six ads for Team USA Tony Finau, Xander Shoffley, Harris English, Daniel Berger, Jordan Spieth, and Scotty Scheffler. Disappointed my guy Kevin Kisner didn't uh, get on the team. I thought he would have been a great addition. But with all that talent on the squad, the USA will once again be a big favorite. But that has not always meant a victory for the United States. Ryder Cup coming up two weeks from this weekend. Big thanks to Breezy Ben for all their support as our golf partner all season long. All right, let's get Michael Remus back in here. And uh, man, that was a great hour of chat with John Horn and Dave McCarthy. Dave's always fun to have on the show, kind of, you know, kicking around the big stories in the National Hockey League. But it is weird. There's not a lot, uh, not very often, Remo, that tennis takes top billing. But right now, with what Leilani Fernandez has done and Felix Ogelia seem both in the semifinals, 
Uh, that's the way Canadian sports is right now. I think TSN led for about 13 minutes of Sports Center last night with live updates and reaction from what our Canadians are doing on the court in New- NYC. Yeah, I saw so many uh, you know tweets of people following along while at work yesterday afternoon. Uh, everyone getting fired up. Uh, this is awesome. I remember when Bianca Andreescu was in the final a couple years ago. I was tuned in every match, so I am I am really loving this. As far as Dave, some great hockey talk. We did have some hot, good chat, uh, stuff going on in the chat as well. Um, I was going back and forth with GM Carp. In, yeah, in GM chat. Carp has had some scuds for Chevy. Well, he said there isn't one decent Canadian GM in NHL, and if you want to rip on, come you know, on, Vancouver, Edmonton. Even Montreal takes some heat. But to not say, to say that Chevaldeov isn't at least decent. Like, come on. Like, decent? Like, this <laughs> are is you pretty... saying? Are you saying that there is maybe an irrational hot take in the Winnipeg Sports Talk chat? I I guess. And so I went back and forth. I'm like, come on. You're saying he's not. <laughs> happen? Yeah, he's saying he hasn't uh, signed all these guys. Um, sorry, he made the trades in the offseason. I mean, they're they're in the best shape I think of any Canadian team. I mean, even I don't know how you can say Dubas isn't decent. But if you want to rip on Edmonton, Vancouver, uh, Calgary, Montreal, uh, Pierre Dorian seems to be turning a corner. He just got a new contract, but I don't know how you how you could say that Chevaldeoff well, isn't here, at least here, decent. Here, this is a bit it. of a yeah, yeah. This is a bit of a tease for tomorrow's because listen, I mean, everyone's entitled to their own opinion, and we can agree sure. or disagree. Um, but I will say, uh, and I firmly believe this, that in the 10 years that the Winnipeg Jets have been back, this is about as optimistic and as excited as Jet fans have been. And the results, and we'll talk about this from Murat before, the confidence, or if you want to get like a political style approval rating of Kevin Cheveldayoff, the Jets general manager, I think it's as high as it's ever been after the work that he did in the offseason with, in particular, those two big additions on the blue line. Here's a few quotes from Marat's piece from the fan poll on management. Uh, Jets management's done an outstanding job in all facets, given the realities of the market. I think that's something that's very important. You have to consider. Uh, here's another one. Appreciate the slow, steady, consistent approach that is necessary for this market. I don't think we have the option due to market attractiveness and size to make splashes like some of the bigger teams. Never going to be a preferred free agent destination. It's frustrating, but for who and where we are, the Jets are probably run about as well as possible. Here's another one. Chevaldeoff has given Maurice the pieces to be successful this year. It's his last chance to make the team a winner. I thought he did well with what he had to work with last year, but this team has all the potential and the coach has to make it work. Uh, Chevy, although a little slow, fixed the blue line and has done about as good of a job as you can expect the GM of not a top-of-the-list destination to do. Uh, the forward group is a little thin now, though. So, listen, there's all sorts of, of takes on this. Uh, one person popped in, Chevy's too loyal. Most of the bad contracts in the tenure has gone back to aging veterans. Chevy rarely makes a coaching change. Um, so, I mean, listen, there are positions on both sides uh but looking at the numbers of the uh approval rating if you will of the general manager it is uh it, it's it's good um very good let's see here we are how confident are you in jets general manager kevin sheveldayoff as winnipeg's gm it was on a one to five scale 0.5 percent was a one 1.8 percent was a two 
10.6% was three, 55% was four, and 31% was five. So, I mean, that's 86, 87% of the fan base that responded to Marat's uh, poll uh, with four or five stars for Kevin Sheveldayoff in the confidence rating. So uh, I'm looking forward to that conversation tomorrow uh, with Marat Remo as we'll have plenty of things to get to coming out of the fan survey uh, not a lot of news right now with the Winnipeg Jets, but that doesn't mean we can't talk about it. I'm looking forward to getting part two of the piece in The Athletic. We'll direct people to read it before they join us. And uh, Murat, always a popular guest of ours here on Winnipeg Sports Talk when he joins us. Yeah, I really liked um, this fan survey. I mean, the stuff that he touched in part one of the responses were just, uh, you know, a club as a whole. How do you feel about the coaches? How do you feel about the GM? What's the strengths? Of the coaches, what's the weaknesses, or what do you feel the weaknesses are? What do you, how do you feel the organization is treating you as a fan? But I know in part two he gets into more what do fans think the power play should be, what do fans think you know the lineup should be, who are the top, you know who should be the top line. And I think there's more getting into the uh, I guess minutia of you know player player stuff. So I'm ambling forward to having Marat on tomorrow. I texted him yesterday. He said, "Oh yeah, I am definitely in." So that should be a lot of fun to have some uh, September. Um, Jets discussion, that's for sure. Yeah, well, we'll get through this. And then a couple weeks away from getting training camp going, I believe the first preseason game, I was looking, I got a piece actually from the Winnipeg Jets. This is of note to season ticket holders uh, that I've got a new package coming out with some new improved season ticket holder benefits. I believe they, uh, what they said in the email, there was some uh, food and beverage discounts for season ticket holders, a special season ticket holder gift, and a few of the things, honestly, that had been done in some of the other markets. I don't think maybe they, uh, there was much of a push to do that here, but, you know, I think now the team's really working for it, considering the economic situation, uh, the virus, where the team has been, the fact that they've been here for 10 years right now, uh, but maybe the biggest thing, that'll be a benefit to season ticket holders is the work that the team's done to add to the blue line and get the team bottom line. It's a performance-based business. You want the team to be good. And I think a lot of people are expecting that, but uh, you know, as soon as we have some clarity on that, I believe they're putting something out next week. We'll let you know some of the new um, incentives, shall we say for season ticket holders. And if you are a season ticket holder, they do have a pretty neat referral program that they're going as they try to, you know, continue to add to that season ticket base after years with a waiting list. All right. A few more things we want to get to tonight. Um, we've talked a lot about the U.S. Open. No matches today for the Canadians. Tomorrow, uh, we'll get to it with Layla. Uh, or actually, Layla. Yeah, Layla Thursday, Felix Friday, women's final Saturday, men's final Sunday. So uh, we'll certainly be paying attention to that TSN with all the coverage there. Uh, Remo, I am looking forward to this soccer game tonight. I know there's a few folks that were wondering about where the game will be on television tonight. Good news. The games are on TV now. Blue Jays are taking over the main Sportsnet channels. So Sportsnet 1, I believe the game starts at 7 p.m. Canada versus El Salvador. Uh, We're talking about this on the lock shop with Dustin Nielsen earlier today. I was originally going to sort of throw down a pretty nice bet on the Canadians um, to win by two because I figured they were on the verge of exploding in you know these last couple matches. They've had so many great chances and they're playing really well. They've got the talent, certainly far more than the El Salvadorians do. 
But now Alfonso Davies is out. And for those of you that are wondering, he won't play in this game today. Uh, being a multi-gajillionaire um, prop piece of property for Bayern, they sent him back to Germany to get looked out because that would be like, you know, Sidney Crosby getting hurt with the Canadian national team. Pittsburgh would need to see him right away. Uh, so he's in Germany. But the good news is nothing serious. We expect that Alfonso Davies will be back for future World Cup qualifying matches, but the Canadians are going to have to go without their superstar tonight, which I think is going to put a lot of pressure, but also opportunity on Kyle Lahren, who had the big goal against the United States, and the other star that maybe a little more has been expected from, and that, of course, is Jonathan David. Uh, my wager for tonight is going to be under a under half a goal for El Salvador, essentially betting on a Canadian clean sheet, um, El Salvador's got two draws so far against the United States and Honduras. Uh, they haven't scored a goal and they haven't given up a goal. So I think we're going to be looking at a pretty defensive battle. Key for Canada is can they get a goal tonight? And uh, that will be uh, the, the thought. Canada right now, the odds have gone down a little bit with Alfonso uh, Davies not in the lineup. Minus 222 to win. You can see these at Cool Bet, by the way. Uh, a draw plus 320. And El Salvador plus seven twenty-five. Uh, Canada minus a goal, so basically to win by two in the three-way plus one forty-four. Tough to imagine that maybe happening without Alfonso. Would love to be wrong on that. I'm going with the uh, with the clean sheet for Canada and the Canadian goalkeeper. Again, gets underway. I believe it's showing 6.30 on Coolbet right now. I think that's when the broadcast starts. Uh, but anyways, you can see that tonight. Sportsnet 1. Uh, we talked about the CFL lines yesterday. Not too much change right now. Bombers still three-point favorites against Saskatchewan. And the over-under is at 40.5. Hamilton, three-and-a-half-point favorites on the road in Toronto in the rematch of their Labor Day Classic. And Calgary, despite losing at home to Edmonton, only one and a half point underdogs against the Elks in the rematch. And as Remus mentioned earlier, what a day for CFL fans, Remo. I mean, we got a packed Saturday into a packed Sunday of NFL. Uh, but the Bombers at three, Calgary Edmonton at six. And then, as you mentioned, that late night game from the West Coast, Ottawa and BC. BC, a seven point favorite right now. I have a feeling that might get a little higher before we get to game time as well. Yeah, I haven't quite um, taken a look into my fantasy lineups, but just looking at the totals, um, that Hamilton-Toronto game, the highest total game. You know, maybe I'll have. I saw Nick Arbuckle; he's going to be starting. Um, I don't know. I don't know why Dinwiddie had to. I just assumed he was the starter. Was there something that I missed? I guess he got, didn't have a great performance in the last week. Um, I, I have no. I have no idea why they felt like they had to come out and say that. So. Um, I'm, yeah, I don't know what I would lean here. If I'm leaning fantasy wise, but go a Riley stack with Lucky Whitehead and, uh, Brian Burnham because they were, you know, playing well, very well. And they're going to stack it against Ottawa. I helped yeah. you quite well last week with, uh, exactly. Vernon Adams Jr., your guy. Yes, exactly. So we'll, we'll see. But I, you know, Friday night, we're going to be at Boston Pizza. So we'll have that, make sure to have that Ty Cats, uh, Argos game on the TV so we can sweat it out. Absolutely. And uh, oh, one more quick cool bet line for you. Tomorrow is the NFL opener. The Cowboys are now eight and a half point underdogs to Tampa. I, I, there's no way I'm not going to be able to take the points in that. And it's not just because I always bet against Brady, which has bankrupted me for the last 20 years of my life. Uh, it's I mean, Cowboys just have so much offensive firepower. You have to think that they'll be in 
uh, the mix. And even if they're down by a couple touchdowns, garbage time counts too. I could easily see a backdoor cover. Cannot wait for that game tomorrow. We'll talk more about the NFL kickoff game tomorrow on the program. But uh, we're going to get into a lot of Banjo Bowl. Dustin Nielsen, he called the Labor Day Classic. He's calling the Banjo Bowl. He'll be with us on Friday night at Boston Pizza. Going to join us tomorrow. Talk a little bit more about the rematch between these two clubs, what he's seen so far this season. And uh, also just get some you know, great chat with Dusty on both games that he did. He, of course, did the uh, Labor Day game, the Labor Day Classic between Bombers and Riders, which is not technically on Labor Day, and, of course, the Battle of Alberta. So that's coming up tomorrow. And we mentioned a longer conversation with Murat on the results of the Winnipeg Jets fan survey in The Athletic. Uh, Blue Jays coming up tonight. Uh, I will do this. We went over all these picks earlier today on the lock shop. If you want to go back and check that. Uh, but Remo going for seven in a row tonight. We've got the kid Alec Manoa on the hill and uh, Jays now plus 110. It kind of feels like people expect the bottom to fall out. But man, with the momentum this team has right now and, you know, getting the bats going again in that little band box that was known at Yankee Stadium. Um, they're a tough out right now. And if they can get through this, they have four, I believe, coming up next against the Baltimore Orioles. I mean, we said last week that they had 30 games left and they needed to win 20. Well, they've already won six. And uh, if they can continue this run through this next series, tell you what, we could be talking about a team that's in a wild card spot. Never mind taking a month to just to finally try to get to that point. They could potentially have already done it. Yeah, just looking at the schedule, plus 110. Uh, you may as well ride with the underdog, see if they can continue. And yeah, big series uh, against the Orioles uh, for four this weekend. Then you have three against the Twins. And then you have another three against the Twins. Sorry, four against the Twins. And then three at the end of the month against the Yankees. So some big games. You got to win these ones, I think, against the Yankees. And then you, sorry, you're finishing off season October. Season goes to, you know, October 3rd this year. Three against the Orioles. So, um, you know, a couple, I don't know, series against lesser teams. A couple tougher series with the Yankees and the Rays. So this will be a big, uh, big month. There you have Blue Jays uh, plus 110. If you believe in Alec Manoa, sure, go for it. I mean, if you want to go... Uh, I see people like betting on the uh, player props. They got like Will hit a home run. I mean, I don't know if you had to pick a J. I mean, Simeon, he, he keeps doing it. Plus 320. <laughs> I think he like would automatic be- every night, it seems. What about yeah. my guy Alejandro? Is he there? Uh, I don't think, I don't think that he's on there. Uh, on he the said, cool as, list. as Buck Martinez said last uh, yesterday, a two jacket night with two bombs. You know that he's listed at five, eight, two sixty five. I mean, he's literally a hot water tank with legs that <laughs> can hit it out of the ballpark. I mean, one of the most uniquely shaped professional athletes around, but um, man, he can hit. Um, doesn't, you know, doesn't strike out very often, takes a lot of walks. He's one of these players that I don't know if anyone could have imagined the contribution that he'd make and how quickly he'd end up in the major leagues. But the guy is just the epitome of a natural ball player, despite not looking like one. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to have like a traditional athlete's body to be able to smack dingers. And you've seen it, you know, in baseball for, for years and, He's a guy, I mean, he came, he's a catcher, or came as a catcher, and just knows how to put bat on ball, and did it last night, two bombs. Love the jacket, but uh, he's not listed here on the uh, on the Will or 
Will he not hit a home run? So uh, maybe we'll add it. I don't know. But if you want to bet on some other guys, Lourdes Gurriel, he's been hot, plus 360. Uh, the, I see um, we used to have uh, Gilles Gallant on the old station talking props. And he we'll, always, get Jill on, we'll get Gilles on this program for sure. He's Son always, of Gerard. Yeah, he's always. I think it might be a different, uh, just another guy with the same name. I'm not. I'm not sure. No, but no, 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 no. That's is his it dad. Legit? Oh, it actually. Oh, yeah, is? yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he had a crack about something like when his dad uh, yeah. got fired or whatever oh, okay. on, the, on the thing. So it was good. Hey, and just speaking about uh, Kubet. Hey, what up, Owen Catelli? He just mentioned Kubet's great. One of the higher ups was giving up money to bet on on their site. Great customer service. Get involved. Uh, that person was, in fact, our good friend Kubet Chris. He's coming for the banjo bowl. He will be there on Friday night. And uh, he did tell me on our little cool bet NFL preview we did last night, you can still check out on all their social channels, um, that we will have some cool bet merch to give away. So looking forward to doing that. We'll probably grab a couple other door prizes, give some stuff away. And bottom line, just have a great chance to uh, cheers some of you that are with us every day here in the chat or listening on the podcast to kick off one of the great weekends for football fans of the year. All right, Remo, before we go, uh, let's get to the picks. For tonight at Assiniboia Downs, you got back into the winner's circle last night. I had a couple of excruciating close calls, uh, but was just on the wrong side of the right picks. Where are you going, my friend? Yeah, I was one for my four. So I, you know, my 20 bucks, I think I came up wet back with half of it. So that wasn't a total uh, loss for me. I did have, so I did two uh, triactor boxes. I had two of the three. Uh, on each of them, so I was really close, and I w- I did triactors where my long shot hit, and it was the favorite that. Oh, that, didn't that come that's oh, that's tough to take. That that's, is tough to take. I had a very similar one on uh, mm-hmm. on what was it race seven, where I picked my what the one long shot to get in finished fourth, and it was sort of the chalk. But even the three chalk horses, when you get to nine uh, horses in a race. The one dollar tractor paid twenty four bucks, so it wasn't too bad. But it would have been way bigger if two had gotten in and got it done for me. But anyway, sorry to sidetrack you. Where are you going tonight? I am going race three triactor box. I like one, three, and six. Greeley Spirit, bunch of cash, Cyclone Dan. So I'm kind of doing on these tractors. I'm going two favorites and hoping for one long shot. So I got two of the pro picks. Uh, Cyclone Dan Greeley's, and then my bunch of caches, my longer odd uh, horse race. Sorry, I gotta go race. Where am I going? What am I going here? Three, four, five, six. Right, right. Race four. I like horse six to win. Bad news. I'm just ripping a long shot here. That's my smaller name. Three, Great three bucks. Yeah, hopefully it's not gonna be bad news for me. I did wait. The horse I won on, I said Gooch Express. If Gooch Express is on, I'm betting on Gooch every time. It has paid off for me definitely uh, uh, more than once. And race five, I got like a Quinella here, a $5 Quinella. Two five. Remy Rising Star, kind of partial to that one. And Fire on Command, that's kind of a chalky one. I don't even know if that'll pay anything if it wins, but I'm, I'm doing it. I don't care. And race six, Triactor Box. Two, four, seven. That's a you know one dollar box, six dollars total. Lady got away. Wit nine and she's a Pontiac. So those are my my two. All right, I'm going with bets on the first four races. We'll see what happens for the rest of them. And uh, 
Uh, number one is the 91st running of the Winnipeg Futurity. Now, Diamond Digger is a massive, massive favorite. One to five, which means like a $2 bet might pay two twenty. I'm just going to go with one of the other horses. Um, you know, and there's been some nice results, but Cordillera won its last race at Assiniboia Downs. So we'll go uh, with Cordillera number four at uh, start opening odds at eight to one. Uh, race number two. We're going with a uh, 3-4 parlay. That's Hey Hey Run Away, the three horse, and Wits Gato. Uh, going now to three. Going to pick a bit of an underdog. I like Warren's Dirty Dancer to win the race, and I'm also going to take a 3-5, so Warren's Dirty Dancer and Bunch of Cash, Quinella. And then wow. my final one, we're going with the uh, with the, the, the triactor box in race number four. Cross Lake Proud has been uh, awesome for me in the past. Definitely putting Cross Lake Proud on it, along with number three, Pucker, and number five, Dublin Yin's Money. Yin's, a nice Pittsburgh reference there by, uh, by the horse. So there are the picks. We'll get those in. I need a win or two. It's been, uh, had that one great run right out of the Derby. It's cooled down a little bit, but uh, still some time to maybe catch Remus. But I'm going to need a few uh, few home run swings for the fences, if uh, you know what I mean. Uh, Remo, so tonight we got Blue Jays action. We've got this Canada-El Salvador matchup. And uh, we'll pay attention to what's going on in the tennis. But the real excitement for the tennis gets going tomorrow as we get into the semifinals with the two Canadians. If you popped in later on, we had a great conversation with John Horn. Uh, make sure to check the replay. You can back up the YouTube or uh, check out the podcast as well. Um, so we've got some great sports on tonight. And then tomorrow we are officially, this is the final sleep before NFL begins. Check your lineups. Make sure they're set, especially if you've got Buccaneers or Cowboys on your squad. Yeah, I got, I'm starting to look at uh, the DraftKings, who I'm going to be starting this weekend. Uh, I guess I'll put in some bets for tomorrow. i got to make a deposit on two. Onto cool bets, so I would. I like betting on you know touchdown scores. I would do some yardage props. Uh, so we will. We'll wait and see for tomorrow. And then one thing I do have to. Do, everyone's been telling me we talked about it last week that Netflix documentary Crime and Penalties about the Dansbury Trashers. I still oh, the Trashers. Yeah, still, everyone's talking about that right I've, now. And AJ yeah. Galante, who was the seventeen-year-old GM hired by or given the job by the owner, who uh, you know his mob boss trash magnate father um did a whole bunch of interviews i know you did something with uh pat mcafee i thought i saw he was on with frank saravelli uh so i need to get netflix to watch that that's certainly something that'll be on the list uh very soon oh and just quickly before we move on from DraftKings, uh the nfl contest is out i see 20 people have jumped in already so uh reserve your spot three dollars that is for the weekend, so you don't need to. There's no involvement with the Cowboys Bucks game. You've got until Sunday to get that in, and ten spots left for the CFL contest with thirty of forty. So if you're not in already, uh, join the Winnipeg Sports Talk lead. Tweet tweet us if you don't understand where to get it. We'll make sure you do and come in and play with us for tomorrow. And again, Friday, Boston Pizza, seven p.m. Going to be great. Hope to see you there. And uh, tomorrow, a great show with Marat Atesh joining us and Dustin Nielsen popping by as well uh, to get ready for Friday. And, of course, the rematch between the Riders and the Bombers at the Banjo Bowl. And if you missed it early, get to our social feed, 
Instagram at Sports Talk WPG, Facebook at Sports Talk WPG. We have an incredible top shelf bottle, the Canadian Club Chronicles 42 year old whiskey. Someone is going to earn, is going to win this on Friday on the program. To enter, you got to go to either Instagram or Facebook, get in on that. We'll put in 40 people or so for the marble race on Friday, and someone is going to win a uh, bottle, yeah. I believe, just south of $300 for this. Incredibly limited. And uh, for you whiskey drinkers, especially you connoisseurs, you're going to want to make sure you are in on that. Um, listen, been a great show. I'll be jumping on about an hour on Calgary and 960 with the guys. So if you're not sick of me yet, pop on and uh, hang out with us four to six. Winnipeg time and then tomorrow we'll be back at it right here Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily 1pm if you haven't already do me a favor hit that thumbs up button make sure you're subscribed tell a friend about WST and catch us tomorrow 1 o'clock live on YouTube after in the afternoon on the podcast on Winnipeg Sports Talk thanks for being with us everyone and have a great night hope to see you Friday night at BP City Place oh my god shut it down Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.